This episode of That's What G Said podcast is brought to you by Thrive Fantasy. Visit thrivefantasy.com, download the Thrive Fantasy app, and when you use the promo code G-I-N-O, if you deposit $10, you'll get a $10 bonus right back. So remember, download and use the promo code GINO, G-I-N-O, and you'll get that $10 bonus right back. On this episode of That's What G Said, we have a MLB playoff preview for you. I'm going to go through each of the eight remaining teams, positives, negatives, chances to win, and their matchups. Thursday night football preview, Rams up at Seattle. We'll close things out with some horse racing news, and then we'll go through the two stakes races at Keeneland on Friday, October the 4th. We'll talk about the Phoenix and the Alcibiades. So get ready for an action-packed episode of That's What G Said. October the 3rd, 2019, that's what G said podcast, and whew, I love this time of the year, folks. Hope everyone's doing well. Thank you for streaming, downloading, tuning in, listening, and whatever which way you are. Just quickly, before we, we dive in, I mean, right now, NHL just started. The baseball playoffs going on. It is probably the biggest week in professional wrestling in a long, long time with All Elite Wrestling and their new show on TNT. WWE has uh, NXT on USA, two hours, and they're debuting WWE on Fox on Friday. NFL and NCAA football in full swing. We have Big weekends in horse racing, Breeders' Cup prep races. It is just NBA training camp. The Lakers have their first game on Saturday. We've already had some NBA games going on. Unbelievable. Right now I've, uh, I'm at the point where Stephanie and I are one month away. So we have our weekly doctor's appointments now that we're, we're going to. We had a little, uh, one of the first child care classes that we had to go to a little earlier tonight. So just busy all around. Absolutely love it. Won't be talking a whole ton of college football this week. Just because there's so much going on, it kind of got lost a little bit in the shuffle. And to be honest, it's been a bad, a little bit unlucky last two weeks with the college football wagers, and we've dipped to eight and nine. Um, so we'll take a week off from the wagering, but we'll watch everything. We'll keep an eye on everything, and then we'll come back. The, you, you take a week off, but you can't 
you can't completely just stop paying attention because then you get you kind of get too far out of it. So last week, what what hurt was that Virginia Notre Dame game. We were really on the right side of Virgi- with Virginia there, and, and just the the horrible second half and the defensive scores there really hurt us. Uh, Maryland, <laughs> that was a fun one, right? At least when you you backed Maryland, you knew early on you had no shot. That's what happens when you play numbers and you play teams and you don't play, you know, you play numbers and you play spreads and you're not necessarily playing teams. You know, you're playing the numbers, you're playing the spots more often. Then you're going to have bad teams a lot when you're going you're gonna to have games where you just get crushed. So after a three and five week two uh, two weeks ago, a three and five week that realistically should have been a six and two week, and then we come back with an o two week. And what made it frustrating was we discussed four games on the show, and like always, that's what's so hard when when you're gambling is okay. Where do you you know picking and choosing your spots? Always picking and choosing your spots. We talked about four games pick two to play and make as our plays and of course those two lost and the other two that we didn't end up playing both ended up winning ASU and Northwestern covered both of those so we'll take a little week off from college but we will probably talk a little bit of college at least with uh, Scott Shapiro when we discuss the NFL with Scott on uh, the next podcast this week when we really do the NFL deep dive beginning Thursday, 5 Eastern, 2 Pacific time. We have the Cardinals at the Braves. It is the National League Divisional Series. Game 1. We're going to have Miles Mikolas against Dallas Keuchel. And for the Cardinals, they were 44-45. and 45. They lost their first game after the All-Star break. They finished the season at 91-71. and 71. They were my preseason selection to be in the World Series playing Houston. Dodger fan, obviously, but I try not to go homer when I make my picks. So I obviously want the Dodgers to be there, but when I make selections early in the season, and actually a lot of it was based on like future wagers and... The Cardinal, I wasn't going to play anything on the Dodgers because they were the heavy favorites to get right back there, especially in the National League. There was really nobody else that was like bettable. Uh, the Dodgers are not a bet, weren't like a bettable preseason team. So I've I've been kind of focused in on the Cardinals throughout the year, and they really started to turn things around. And a lot of it had to do with Flaherty and what we've seen from Flaherty throughout the second half where he has absolutely put this team on his back. It has been incredible. Uh, After losing on July the 2nd, Flaherty had a 4.90 ERA. Since then, in 16 games, 106 innings pitched, .93 ERA. 50 hits, 24 walks. He's given up 11 total earned runs in 106 innings. 130 strikeouts. Unbelievable numbers over a huge sample size. We're not talking a few games. We're talking 106 innings pitched for that sample size. Now, you're asking, why is he not starting in game one? Well, they needed to, they had to use him to wrap up the division. So he'll be starting game two, but in this short game, in the short 
best of five. He can still pitch twice. Cardinals had the best starting ERA in baseball in September. They also are, have the best fielding percentage in the league. They had just 66 total errors. Compare that to a team like the Dodgers who had 105 errors. But after Flaherty is where I get a little bit concerned for the Cardinals. Depth-wise, do they have enough in the pitching staff with Miles Mikolas, Dakota Hudson, and Wainwright? Mikolas is going to start game one. You can just tell when you look at their numbers, they don't rack up a lot of strikeouts, Mikolas, Hudson, Wainwright. They don't miss a whole lot of bats. Is this enough? When you look at their bullpen, I think Carlos Martinez at the back end of the bullpen with 24 saves and is you know just over three ERA, very good. And you look at Andrew Miller. He had an eight ERA in September. He gave up runs in five of 13 outings. I mean, Brebia, Webb, Gallegos, is that enough in the bullpen? I just don't know for St. Louis. I think it's pretty admirable that they were able to get here. They had a really solid year. But, you know, we Mikolas had a great year last year, and he's been disappointing this year. What What's kind of scary about a team like the Cardinals is even though it feels like they've had a down year, all they really have to do is get hot for a couple weeks. Like, look at their list of solid players who just had down years. Fowler hit 238 this year. Goldschmidt, perennial MVP candidate, he hit 260 this year. Ozuna only hit 243. He had 29 home runs. He had 89 RBIs. Goldschmidt still produced, but these guys did not have good years. And what what, what hurt? This team is they all seem to have offensively kind of a down year at the same time. Carpenter hit 226. Molina hit 270. Bader hit 205. He went down to the minor leagues and came back up. Paul DeJong only ended up hitting 233. He did have 30 home runs. And when you look at this team overall, they only had three players out of the top 100 ranked by war. Flaherty, Wong, and DeJong. They did get a big spark from the rookie Tommy Edmond. In 326 at-bats, he hit 304 with a 350 on on-base percentage, 99 hits. He had 11 home runs, 59 RBIs, 30, uh, 59 runs, 36 RBIs, and 15 stolen bases. So maybe he could be a spark plug for them again in this series, just a short series. Cardinals were 2-4 and four against the Braves this year. You do have to deal with Colton Wong, who's banged up a little bit. Grade 2 left hand string, uh, strain. Waka's been hurt, but he was really bad this year. Wong is huge. He was he was their best hitter as far as batting average is concerned. The most consistent hitter throughout the year for the cards. You know, I liked them before the year, but when you look at the team on paper and you just compare them to everyone that's left, they they really don't feel when I'm ranking the teams, I would rank them fourth in the National League of the four remaining teams and probably third of the four remaining teams. So to me, they would be a long shot. But what's what's scary though is that they have some proven veteran players who it doesn't matter really what happened the previous 162 now when we know that you know, Goldschmidt can get hot. We know that Ozuna can get hot. We know that Carpenter, Molina, DeJong 
are capable. We saw Mikolas do it last year. We've seen Wainwright do it before. And, you know, we've seen Andrew Miller there in the playoffs, Carlo Martinez. So that's what's tough with, with a team like the Cardinals. Because on paper, they just don't seem to have enough. But we're not, we don't look at the Cardinals in, for example, in a team like the Rays, where the Rays are unproven. There are a lot of players that we don't know what they can do at at this level at, on this stage. Whereas we have seen some, we have seen some of these Cardinal players come through on, a, on in big moments for other teams and in other spots. So Cardinals play the Braves, and just you know, you look at them on paper, and you're comparing the two. Like the Braves are their lineup, uh, their top four, their big four. Are four of the top 35 hitters using war And then after that There's a huge gap The Braves finished this year They're your NL East winner They're going to be playing the Cardinals Who are your uh, The central winner winner, And you know you have Four Legitimate studs Who any year could be MVP candidate based on if they Just have a slightly better year Ronnie Acuna Jr., the third ever 21 or younger to hit 40 home runs. Hitting 280, 365 on base percentage with 41 home runs, 101 RBIs, 37 stolen bases, 175 hits, 127 runs. One of the big four, Albies. He hit 295 with 24 home runs, 86 RBIs, 189 hits, 15 stolen bases. He scored 100 runs. How about Freddie Freeman with his 38 home runs hitting 295 with a 389 on base percentage? 121 RBIs. And then Donaldson, he hit 37 jacks, 94 RBIs. He walked 100 times. He had a 379 on base percentage. Now, this Braves team won the most games they've won since 2003. They're a little banged up, though. Acuna missed some time late with the sore groin Probably cost him a chance of being a 40-40 guy And maybe cost him 10 points or so on his batting average Freddie Freeman said he's had some pain in his uh, right elbow for months It was a bone spur He took off four games The Braves won 28 one-run games this year They were 28-15 and 15 in those That was the most of all the playoff games So you have to take a look at that and say Okay, will that continue or... Were they lucky, especially for a team who does have some bullpen questions? Get to that pen in a minute. But Donaldson also had a hip contusion. Ender and Ciarte is out. Talking about their strength as a lineup, but one one thing that's not a strength of theirs is they strike out a ton. They have seven players with over 100 strikeouts. Acuna has 188. Donaldson, 155. Freeman, 127. Swanson, 124. Yeah, 1,467 strikeouts That was 11 in the league So this was a Braves team that's been good the last few years You know, they played the Dodgers in the playoffs last year Dodgers knocked them out early And we saw they had a young nucleus We saw this year that they were able to swing the bat very well early on Score runs But they had questions in the pitching staff And they had questions in the bullpen and whether the Braves win or lose this series and whether they go on to win the World Series and you know they beat the Dodgers and they or the Nationals and they beat whoever from the American League 
You have to be excited with what their front office did because they went out and made the moves. They went out and got Dallas Keuchel when they needed a starting pitcher. They went out and got Melanson and Shane Green and Chris Martin, who were some of the best relievers available. They did everything they could to try to complete this team. Keuchel in a 19 games started. He threw 112 innings pitched. He was pretty good. 3.75 ERA with a 1.37 whip. He gave up seven hits and four runs and four walks in his final outing. And his last three starts actually probably hurt his numbers a little bit. He had a 6.19 ERA with 21 hits, four home runs, 11 earned runs, and seven walks. And then after Keuchel, it's going to be Fulton Witt starting game two. He was really bad to start the year. But then his last five starts, 30 innings pitched, 1.5 ERA, 26 strikeouts, 6 walks, and a 149 batting average against. And then the young stud Mike Soraka in Game through, uh, game 3, 13-4 and four this year with a 268 ERA and a 111 whip. And his road ERA is 1.55. So it's going to be Keiko Game 1, Fulton Witts Game 2, Soraka Game 3. And Keiko will be facing Mikolas. And then uh, in Game 2, the Braves are going to have to face Flaherty. They face Flaherty twice this year. Um, 12 innings pitched, 6 hits, 3 runs, 13 strikeouts, 5 walks. Freeman could be big in this series because all of the Cardinals starters are righties. And Freeman hit 309 with 30 home runs off of right-handed pitching this year. Even though they went out and made those moves for the bullpen, the bullpen is still a big question, big question mark for Atlanta. They had a 3.6 bullpen, uh, 3.60 bullpen ERA in September. And in September, the combination of Melanson, Shane Green, and Chris Martin, 25 innings pitched, 15 hits, 3 walks, 22 strikeouts, and a 1.8 ERA. But they don't miss a lot of bats. They, they're not lockdown relievers. Newcomb. Also had a good September, 10 games. He had a 1.93 ERA. So you could see things are trending in the right direction. And then you could add arms like Julio Tehran and Max Freed. Tehran, 162 strikeouts in 174 innings this year. Max Freed, he struggled a little bit late, but he was 17-6, and six, just over a 4 ERA. That'll help the bullpen a little bit. You have Matt Joyce. In the 200 at-bats that he's had this year, he's hitting 295 with a 408 on base percentage, 38 walks and 45 strikeouts. It's a great ratio. And then Nick Markakis, one of the most underrated players in baseball. You just never hear about him. He's got over 2,300 career hits. He's hitting 285 with a 356 on base percentage. This is a good baseball team, the Braves. They're really deep. They have four absolute studs. They have three or four other solid players. It's going to come down to how good are they going to get from their pitching staff and their bullpen. It's really like like most teams. And for them, the variance in their pitching is really high because we've seen you know Jekyll and Hyde from these pitching staff. Braves, Cardinals. The Braves beat the Cardinals four out of the six times they played this year. Don't forget Dallas Keuchel got some postseason experience in 51 postseason innings. He has a 3.31 ERA, and he has pitched in the World Series. Fun series. Braves, Cardinals kick things off. The Dodgers.
my Los Angeles Dodgers. Who? Quickly, before we get to the Los Angeles Dodgers, I want to mention someone who's a fan of the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's one of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast. Cindy Carava. Right now, go check out CindyCarava.com. If the name sounds familiar, she's the trainer. Uh, she's the wife of horse racing trainer Jack Carava. And Cindy is a full-service realtor. She can help you with buying, selling, leasing. If you need to upgrade your home, if you're curious in the value of your home, anything to do with the field of real estate, check out cindycarava.com or send her an email, cindyc.realtor at gmail.com. She's a big Dodger fan. Jack Carava is a big Dodger fan. They're going to be pumped watching the Dodgers play the Nationals. Played seven times this year. Dodgers won uh, four of the seven. Dodgers won 106 games this year. 106 and 56. The most ever wins for the Dodgers. And I think a lot of the Dodger fans haven't really enjoyed it. Because you're coming off back-to-back World Series losses and it feels like the pressure is on. If you're a Dodger fan, I would just recommend one thing. Enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the process. I think, you know, we get spoiled when our teams are really good and then we forget about bad years and bad stretches and we kind of expect that that'll never happen. I'm telling you, as a fan of the Lakers and the Dodgers, I know I thought the same thing with the Lakers and then they've had a bad stretch of six years. And prior to this really good stretch for the Dodgers, the, the stretch wasn't great. And yeah, they haven't won the World Series, but they've been there a couple times. And I I have a tough time calling a year disappointing when you lose in the World Series to a team like the Boston Red Sox or a team from last year or a team like the Houston Astros from a couple years ago. But nonetheless, the pressure is on this year. This is a deep Dodger ball club with a lot of experience from right at the top of the pitching staff. You have game one starter, Walker Bueller. 14-4 and four with a 3.26 ERA, a 1.04 whip. He threw in some big games last year. He was excellent when the Dodgers needed him most. He had 215 strikeouts, 37 walks, 182 innings pitch. He's going to start game one. And with Bueller, Ryu, and Kershaw, you had three all-star starters there. Your top three, that's as good a top three as any top three. I think you have to say other than Houston and the Dodgers can actually can have a have a say in that battle. Like it wouldn't shock you if the Dodgers were able to outpitch Houston. The only problem is that's far away, and the Dodgers might not be able to outpitch the team that they're playing in this series. And I I'm going to go through you know the Dodgers, but I, I'm terrified of this matchup for the Dodgers playing against the Nationals. Because the strength of the Dodgers right here when we talk about, really it's their depth, but one of their major strengths is their starting pitching. And when you rank the best starting pitching staffs, Dodgers have some depth. But when you're talking top-heavy, it's probably Houston, and you'd have to say Washington's right there with the three-headed monster that they have. But that Dodger roster in the playoffs is going to have a ton of depth. You're going to have Maeda, who's 10-8, 26 starts, but he had nine games out of the pen. 
He's been very good out of the bullpen when he's had to transition there over the last couple years. Ross Stripling can go a couple innings out of the bullpen. 3.47 ERA. 90 innings pitched. 1.1 whip. And you have Hill who came back. He's only pitched 13 games and he's only had three starts back since his in since the injury. But in his last two he pitched a couple of innings and he struck out four and five. And Rich Hill will likely be the game four starter and go a few innings to start. And it'll be kind of a patchwork game. Dodgers made a trade for Choleric midseason. A trade that's going under the radar. Nobody's really talking about it. 0.77 ERA for this lefty specialist in 26 games. 0.94 whip. And then you have the two young guns, Gonsolin and May. We're recording this before they've finalized the Dodger roster. Not sure if both of them or will even be on it, but very deserving Gonsolin and May could help out of the bullpen. How about Joe Kelly? Remember I had that horrible start to the year for Joe Kelly? From May 8th to August 28th, 34 games, 32 innings pitched, 1.69 1.69 ERA and a 171 batting average against. And then in September, he only was able to pitch, throw five innings. He's been, he's been hurt. But he did come back and, and get a couple outs in final weekend of the season. And all reports are that Joe Kelly is, is good to go. His postseason numbers. 47 innings pitched for Joe Kelly, 2.49 ERA. He had four playoff runs as a reliever. One of them, he was actually a starter. And if you just focus in on the reliever appearances in the playoffs, his numbers were incredible. 25 innings pitched in the playoffs as a reliever, three earned runs. Last year, in 11 innings pitched, he gave up one earned run. I remember that because a couple of those outings were against the Dodgers. Then we have to talk about Kenley Jensen, obviously. This year... Eight blown saves. The numbers overall after the eight blown saves though aren't bad. 371 ERA, 1.06 whip, nine home runs, 63 innings, 33 saves. And he's been really good in the playoffs. 47 innings pitched, 2.08 ERA, 16 saves. But what we remember is last year, two blown saves in the World Series. And against Houston. He pitched six games in the Houston series. He had a blown save and a loss. But he also had two saves. Which Kenley are we going to see? What I like about this year versus other years. Even years where you know the Dodger bullpen was better or worse on paper or whatever. Doesn't it just feel like there is a deeper with more options team? You can throw... Someone like Hill out there for a few innings Or Stripling out there for a few innings Or if Gonsolin or May are out there Maeda can go out there for a few innings You have Kelly with some experience And then I think the biggest weapon That the Dodgers are going to have or, To use in their bullpen this year is, is Julio Urias And he pitched a little bit last year But he had, was just coming back from injury And he wasn't quite fit and this year he can go multiple innings. He can go back to back days. He has a two point five, a two point four nine ERA, and he pitched four games last year uh, in the NLCS. Three games in the World Series. 
Gave up a couple runs and six innings pitched I think he's going to be a huge part of the Dodger pen this year And Pedro Baez With his 3 ERA .9 whip He's just become so steady Last year He gave up zero runs in his first six playoff outings And he has a 3.68 ERA in the playoffs So I mean That their pitchers have walked the least batters in the National League 70 less than the next best Their pitchers have given up the least amount of home runs They've had 13 pitchers throw at least 25 innings pitch With a better than average ERA They have 11 hitters with at least 150 at-bats And an above average OPS One thing you have to mention When you're talking about the pitchers Kershaw in the playoffs Over 152 innings pitched 4.32 ERA And It seems like every year He has a couple games And the numbers start to trickle down a little bit And then he'll just have one or two really bad games And when you look at it like He's had 5 World Series games And there have been 2 bad ones And then another game That was not great And that's what we remember He's had some really good games though Last year he had a great game against Atlanta Great game against Milwaukee But he got lit up against Milwaukee In in one of the games Boston beat him up a little bit Two years ago He had a good game in the World Series And then a bad game in the World Series And we don't think about when he comes in relief And he's always done really well But At 432 now Over 152 innings pitched Those last couple games last year really hurt him And they just they make those numbers look so bad feel like this is different though To me this feels like A year where you hopefully won't need as much Out of Kershaw as you've had to When he's been that number one ace This year He's just one of three really good pitchers That you have And then you get to the lineup We're not going to have Alex Verdugo in the mix He's hurt Muncy's missed some time but he's back Turner's missed some time late Hopefully he's healthy because He is been by far the most consistent hitter against the Nationals big pitchers. He has a couple home runs and five RBIs and and he's hitting 286 against Strasburg, against Corbin, he's hitting 375 with 12 hits and 32 at bats, two home runs, six RBIs and four walks. And then against Scherzer, he's got three hits. So Turner is going to be a huge key to this game Because he sees the ball very very well And one thing we've seen with Turner is He's incredible in the postseason 212 plate appearances 56 hits, 7 home runs 30 RBIs He's hitting 313 with a 420 on base percentage He had a really solid year He hit 27 home runs this year 139 hits in 135 games And then I mean you look at the How solid this Dodger lineup is From top to bottom You have Will Smith catching as your rookie He has the 10th highest home run per at-bat rate in in baseball In 54 games he has 15 home runs and 42 RBIs Jock Peterson is not even an everyday player He hits 36 home runs with with a 339 on base percentage Jock has 6 playoff home runs Seager had just a real steady, solid, under-the-radar type year 272, 335 on base percentage 19 home runs, 87 RBIs, 133 hits 
Then we get up to Muncie, who had 35 home runs this year and 98 RBIs, 90 walks, and a 374 on base percentage. And then we have the likely uh, NL MVP, Cody Bellinger, who just completely changed his game. And that's what we saw, we've seen this year from the Dodgers. And I, I just hope that they can transition it over into the playoffs. Their approach this year has been much better as a ball club going the opposite way. It's not all just about power. Finding some holes. Bellinger, with his speed and the numbers he put up this year, 305 with a 406 on base percentage, 47 home runs, 115 RBIs, slugging 629, 1.035 OPS, 95 walks, and 108 strikeouts. Look at that ratio. He had 170, uh, 170 hits, and he leads the NL in war. Then you have the the other Dodger X factors in the depth. You know, Lux, the the rookie who played in twenty three September games, struggled a little bit late, but he's he could come up with the big hitter too. How about Freeze? Who's going to start? Freeze hit three fifteen in one hundred eighty six at bats. He had a four oh three on base percentage, eleven home runs, and in the playoffs. He's been amazing. 295, 10 home runs, 36 RBIs, and a 365 on base percentage. Pollock. He could have a big year, a big series, a big playoff run in general. He had 15 home runs this year and 327 in limited action because he was banged up. You know, you can get some pop from Kiki with his 17 home runs and Taylor with his 12 home runs. And Pollock's going to be key against Strasburg. He's 7 for 14 career against Strasburg with the home run. The matchup scares me for the Dodgers because of the pitching. But when you go through their depth, they are a very, very well-built ball club. And they should have no excuses. They're going to run into a Washington Nationals team that did just have to use Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg. So we're going to get Patrick Corbin starting Game 3. And the Dodgers know Patrick Corbin very well from his years with Arizona. Turner and Freeze have had good success against Corbin. Bellinger has been okay. But Corbin has done very well against Seager, Kiki, Taylor, and Muncie. Limited sample size for the rest. So with Washington, it's the top of their rotation. We know they've got that, that big three-headed monster. But then after that, that's why a, a seven-game series, I would feel a little more confident as a Dodger fan. It scares me in a five-game series because they're going to be able to use those pitchers a little bit more often. When you get to this Washington Nationals bullpen, it's Daniel Hudson who's been very good. He was a former 16-game winner. He pitched for the Dodgers actually last year. And in 24 games for Washington this year, 25 innings pitched. 23 strikeouts, 4 walks, and a 1.4 ERA and a .8 whip, 6 saves. And then Doolittle, but it's, I, that's not really scary at the back of the bullpen. That's not Scherzer, Strasbourg, Corbin scary. Anibal Sanchez, you might get some innings out of him. He pitched Game 2 of the NLDS last year against the Dodgers in 2018 for Atlanta. He went 4 and 2 thirds, gave up 5 hits and a walk, 3 earned runs, and a, a couple home runs. So the Nationals beat the Brewers 4-3 to in the wild card game. And Scherzer really didn't pitch that well. Five innings pitched, three earned, four hits, three walks, six strikeouts. They actually brought Strasburg in for three innings. 
And then Hudson closed things out with the save. And I mean, right off the bat, the Nationals were down. Second batter, Grandall hit a home run. Boom, they're down. It was a walk. Two uh, second batter, Grandall home run. Washington down two nothing before they got an out. Then after a Thames home run, they're down three nothing, heading to the bottom of the second. Trey Turner came back and hit a home run, make it three one. Scherzer got out of a jam in the fourth. It was three one to the bottom of the eighth, and and Milwaukee had Hater coming in, struck the first batter out, then he hit the next batter, struck the next batter out, then a single. First and third, two outs, walks Rendon, and then Soto with a base knock to right field and an error made by the right fielder. He overran the ball, and it gave the Nationals a 4-3 lead, and they end up going on to win 4-3. It was Soto came up with a big hit. 34 home runs this year, 126 RBIs, and a 401 on on-base percentage. He is an absolute stud. You look at this team, too. This is not a team that's just a pitching staff. Turner, 298, 19 home runs, 35 stolen bases in 122 games. Eaton, solid veteran. He played 151 games this year. He only played 23 in 95 games the last two years. His health has been a big reason why Washington was able to make the playoffs. He's been steady. While... A lot of the key players have been in and out of the lineup. Rendon, 34 jacks this year, 126 RBIs, 412 on base percentage. He has 80 walks and 86 strikeouts. We talk about ratios. He's an MVP candidate. And then you've, you've had some really solid veterans filling in the lineup as of late. Like Howie Kendrick, 344 and 370 plate appearances, 17 home runs, 62 RBIs. And he's got 100 playoff at-bats also. And then how about Astrubal Carrera? He's got 75 playoff plate appearances. He hasn't been great in the playoffs, but he has the experience. He has been great for Washington in 38 games. He's at 323 for them with a 404 on base percentage, 6 home runs, 40 RBIs, 19 walks, 18 strikeouts. Victor Robles is fast. He stole 28 bases this year. Suzuki. 85 games for them. A catcher who hit 17 home runs with a 324 on base percentage. This is a good baseball team. You you look through this team and there are not a lot of holes. It's just the bullpen. And if they score some runs early and their starting pitching goes deep into games, that might not matter. There's going to be Corbin game one with his 3.25 ERA, 238 strikeouts and 202 innings this year. And then Scherzer, in Scherzer's last nine games, 50 innings pitched, 4.14 ERA, nine home runs. In the playoffs, he's been okay. 87 innings pitched, 3.83 ERA. His last seven playoff games, with a 4.5 ERA, and he's given up seven home runs. So not quite locked down, and he hasn't been in the playoffs, and he hasn't been when we've seen him as of late this year. Game two on Thursday, Dodgers-Nationals. We're going to have a huge Friday where I absolutely love this Friday. I think it's one of the more underrated days in sports when you have all four baseball games going throughout the day. So it'll kick off with the Rays 
at the Astros on Friday morning. And the Astros are going to be, I just hate to say it, they're going to be so damn tough, right? I mean, you look at this ball club and when you, you know, I'm deep diving and doing doing the the prep work. This is a 107 win team. We had a hundred we had four 100 win teams this year in baseball. Astros 107 and 55. They have three incredible starting pitchers. The Astros were third in home runs, first in batting average, first in uh strikeout rate uh they had the lowest strikeout rate as far as their hitters are concerned. They're third in bullpen ERA. They're fourth in defensive runs scored. They're fifth in stranding inherited runners. Above average save percentage. They're first in walks drawn. They are the World Series favorites. They deserve to be. With Verlander, Cole, and Granke at the top. They have two players that struck out 300 this year. It's the second time ever teammates have both struck out 300 batters in a year. Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling did it in 2002. Since then, only Kershaw, Scherzer, and Sale have hit 300 Ks. Garrett Cole had 10 strikeouts in 9 consecutive games. It's a baseball record. The most strikeouts in the American League since Nolan Ryan. Garrett Cole's final 22 starts, he went 16-0 with a 1.78 ERA and 226 strikeouts. This team is 58-19 and 19 this year in games started by Verlander, Cole, or Granke. And in a five-game series, that's all you're getting. After the big three, you have Yaquiti, who's fine, uh, Wade Miley, who will probably end up being more like a lefty out of the bullpen, the closer, Osuna, is steady. And then how about Will Harris? Fifth best ERA plus of any reliever over the last five years. Nobody talks about him. Yuquiti had a 1.5 ERA through 18 innings in September. Ryan Presley, the setup man, he missed a month from August 20th to September 20th in his four games back. Four innings pitched, one hit, one walk, seven strikeouts, and a .9 whip. The Astros could have seven players in the lineup with over 500 slugging, slugging percentage. They're only... If you want to call it a weakness Is I guess the catcher spot Where it'll be Chirinos or Maldonado Nobody who really hits for average Chirinos strikes out a ton Then you go to first base And Guriel 31 home runs, 298 He had 104 RBIs this year 343 on base percentage Altuve hit 31 home runs And he hit 298 He had a slow start to the year And he missed some time Correa looks like he's going to be ready to rock He had a back injury He was out from May 26th to July 26th And he played 25 games From July 26th to September 21st He hit 244 With 10 home runs 24 RBIs, 24 strikeouts But when he's healthy He's one of the best shortstops in the game Third baseman Alex Bregman Might be the MVP and he can move all over the place. He had 296 with a 423 on base percentage, 41 jacks and 112 RBIs, 119 walks, and 83 strikeouts. Incredible numbers from Bregman. Oh, yeah. We still haven't mentioned Michael Brantley, who hit 311 with 22 home runs, 90 RBIs. He only struck out 66 times in 637 plate appearances. How about George Springer 
with 39 home runs and a 292 batting average, 96 RBIs. Jordan Alvarez, don't get me started on him. This was a trade from the Dodgers. In 2016, the Dodgers signed Jordan Alvarez as an amateur free agent. They traded him to the Astros for Josh Fields. Fields pitched 22 games for the Dodgers in 2016. She pitched okay, 279 ERA. But in World Series Game 2 of 2017, he gave up three hits and two home runs in a game the Dodgers actually lost 7-6 to Houston. So not only did Josh Fields hurt the, the Dodgers against Houston there, he's hurt them as far as the, how this trade has turned out because Alvarez has been amazing. 27 home runs, 78 RBIs, 313 batting average, and a 412 on base percentage. Verlander and Cole, they're going to be 1-2 in the Cy Young voting. I just, what are this team's weaknesses? I guess Correa in the injury, they were 50 and 25 in the games when he played. Even though Verlander and Cole have had incredible years, they've actually given up a lot of home runs. Verlander in 34 starts has given up 36 home runs. And Cole in 33 starts has given up 29 home runs. And when you compare them to the team that they will be playing, the Tampa Rays, the Rays actually beat the Astros 4-3 this year in the season series. This is going to be a whole different story, though. And this Astros team is going to be so, so difficult to beat. I just don't see how Tampa, who was able to defeat Oakland in the wild card game, and they did it by hitting home runs, too. This is not just a different baseball team. You don't see, I've never seen a team, I think, like this ever. I mean, maybe we've seen some of the Oakland Athletics teams over the last few years where they don't have a lot of starters. The Brewers last year were doing something similar. They really have, Tampa has one starter right now. It's Charlie Morton. He's the only pitcher that actually goes starter innings, like five innings. Everybody else is going one, two, three innings. That's including last year's Cy Young winner, Blake Snell, who's returned from an injury, but since he's returned, he's only gone like two and three innings per start. Same thing, which is crazy. Chirinos, Snell, and Glasnow all recently have returned from injuries, and so they're all kind of on the same plan. None of them are going five, six, or seven. They're going two, two and three innings. Most people couldn't name two players on the Rays. And their bullpen and the amount of arms and the depth that they have out of their bullpen is insane. The fewest home runs allowed in baseball. The fewest home runs allowed in baseball. They lead MLB in wins by relief pitchers. Second in most total relief appearances. Third in most relief appearances of at least four outs. And the best tied for the best bullpen ERA. And these are not household names. McKay, Fairbanks, Castillo, Pagan, Glasnow. Kittredge, Rowe, Nick Anderson. We saw Nick Anderson pitch in the wild card game. In April, he had 27 strikeouts in 13 innings, and he had zero unintentional walks. In August, he had 22 strikeouts in 12 innings pitched, zero unintentional walks. In September, 19 strikeouts in 10 innings pitched with one walk. Unbelievable numbers. I don't really have any knocks on Tampa. 
I think they've done a great, great job building this baseball team. But you look at their lineup. They're not playing against any average team. They are playing against an absolute juggernaut in the Astros. And is Kevin Kiermeyer solid center field and Tommy Pham and his 21 home runs or Austin Meadows with his very nice 291 average, 33 home runs, 89 RBIs. Is that going to be enough to beat the the Astros? I just, I don't think so. I like their chances a lot better in a five-game series. But when you, we saw this with Milwaukee last year. When you bring in so many different relievers and you're bringing in so many different you're adding so many new variables to the game that's your margin of error I mean one or two pitchers can can have a great game right but once you bring in five it's very likely that one of them is going to blow up one of them is going to make a mistake and that's all it takes just cannot see Tampa getting by a really really tough Houston team the Yankees twin series is going to be fun the Yankees won 103 games this year, and how did they win with all the injuries that they dealt with? First in the American League in runs, second in home runs and RBIs. 14 players with 11-plus home runs. They only had three position players play over 140 games. Judge played 102 games. Sanchez played 106. Didi played 82. Stanton played 18. And they got huge contributions this year. DJ LeMayhew with an MVP caliber season, 26 home runs, 102 RBIs, 327 average. Glabar Torres hit 38 home runs. He hit 344 with runners in scoring position with over 1,000 OPS. Brett Gardner hit 28 home runs. Ursula hit 21 home runs. He hit 314. Luke Voigt hit 21 jacks. The problem with the Yankees is they're just a I mean, you can see on paper, they're built like a regular season team. Bunch of home run hitters, but they strike out a ton. Good pitching will likely be able to attack them. And the Yankees don't really have the greatest starting pitching. One of their big strengths is their bullpen. So when you look at teams in the playoffs, the Dodge, uh, Astros struck out 1,166 times. The Yankees struck out. 1,437 times So 200 plus more times They struck out almost 100 more times Than the Dodgers How healthy will they be? Encarnacion has a strained oblique Played just 2 games In August Just 6 games uh, Just 8 games in September And he hasn't played since September the 12th Paxton left With a game uh, Left his last game with a left glute Injury, a buttocks injury And left the September 27th game Stanton only played 18 games all year Domingo Herman is out for the playoffs Ursula, mild ankle sprain And a, blues, a bruised left hand he's dealing with So a banged up team all year What's the playoff roster finalized going to look like? Because Luke Voigt's been struggling He's coming off the injured list He's been one for his last 32 since coming off the injured list He's 16 for 80 overall with 30 strikeouts when you break that number up a little bit longer. So he's not been playing well. Then you look at their pitching. Severino, 12 innings pitched with a 1.5 ERA. He's only pitched three games. 
67 pitches, 80 pitches, and 72 pitches. Like, what what are we going to get from Severino? And in the, pl- in the playoffs, he's not been good. He's a 6.26 ERA. Remember, he started the wild card game in 2017 and in 2018. He got lit up in 2017. He couldn't even get through an inning. One-third of an inning. Gave up four hits and a walk and three earned run. He couldn't get two outs. In 2018, he started the wild card game. He went four innings, two hits, four walks. Paxton, if he's healthy, he's a solid starter. But is he like an ace? Is he at number one? It, was that enough with him and Severino towards the top? Paxton with his 3.8 ERA, 1.28 whip, 188 strikeouts in 150 innings. The Yankees are 20 and 9 in the games he starts this year, and really that's all that matters, right? His first four starts in September, 4 and 0, 24 innings pitched, 0.36 ERA, and a 131 batting average against, 29 strikeouts, six walks. That guy is an ace. If that guy shows up, the Yankees are going to be really tough, because then you have. Paxton, behind him you have Severino, if you can get anything from him you have Tanaka, CeCe Hap, most likely and then that strong bullpen bullpen, second in, in bullpen war 7th in bullpen innings 5th in bullpen wins, tied for 2nd in saves, 3rd in K's per 9 innings, 4 relievers averaging 12 strikeouts per 9 4 absolute well, 5 legitimate relievers when you start with a roll this at the back end, this 221 ERA and his 1.11 whip. He did have five blown saves this year. And he only threw four innings in September. Did you have Chad Green? One earned run in his last 10 appearances, 27 holds this year. 98 strikeouts and 67 innings pitched. Adam Adovino, 73 games, 1.9 ERA, 29 holds, two saves. Tommy Canely, 27 holds, 88 strikeouts in 61 innings. Zach Britton, his 66 games, 1.9 ERA. They can legitimately throw like five different solid bullpen arms at you. And while Tampa might have more depth in the bullpen as far as just versatility and they can just bring in and, and bring in arms in, the Yankees have the best top-level depth in their bullpen, no doubt about it. The Yankees were the second-best home-run hitting team in baseball. The only team to beat them were the Twins by one, by one home run. So th- these two teams are going to play each other. They are the two teams that have hit the most home runs in the history of baseball. One of those players, Aaron Judge, in 2017 in the playoffs, 13 games, he hit 188 over 57 plate appearances. In the 2018 playoffs, 16 at-bats, 5 games, he hit 500 with 8 hits, 3 home runs. Which one are we going to see? Can they get good enough at-bats against better pitching? Yankees were 4-2 and against the Twins this year. Got to be impressed with what we've seen from this Twins baseball team this year. They were one of my uh, sneaky picks to start, and they won 101 games. I mean, I could have never predicted. I thought they would be, you know, maybe like an 88, 89 win team, maybe be able to sneak in in a weak division. 
307 home runs, the most home runs ever hit by a team. So no matter what, they're going to be down in the record books until next year, at least when that record gets broken. They are the only team ever to have five players with 30 home runs, to have eight players with 20 home runs. Nelson Cruz hit 40 home runs with 108 RBIs. <laughs> and he he did this in limited games. Max Kepler hit 36 home runs with 90 RBIs. Miguel Sano hit 34 home runs in only 380 at-bats. Rosario hit 32 home runs with 109 RBIs. Mitch Garver hit 31 home runs in 311 at-bats. CJ Crone hit 25. Scope hit 23. Polanco hit 22. They got a good-looking rookie second base, Mina Luis Reyes. Who hit 334 over 326 at bats? He's banged up a little bit. He's got an ankle issue that he's dealing with. Nelson Cruz is a little banged up. Kepler's a little banged up. So those are some injuries to keep an eye on for this team. Garver, with his 31 home runs, he's 12th all time in home runs per at bat. There were 11 times this year they hit five home runs in a game. And they had the most home runs ever by a team's catchers with 44. This team can hit the ball. Nelson Cruz in the playoffs. He has 16 home runs, 34 RBIs, and a 292 batting average in 167 plate appearances. Well, so they hit the ball well. That means they must not have a good staff. I beg to differ. Jose Barrios... 14 and 8 with a 360 ERA and a 123 whip. And then Odorizzi. That's the key. They just need to get good outings from those two. Barrios, Odorizzi, 3.51 ERA, 178 strikeouts in 159 innings. He was 15 and 7 this year cuz Kyle Gibson's been bad down the stretch. Martin Perez has, has been bad. And with no Pineda, they might need something from rookie Randy Dobnak who's pitched 9 games and he's gone 2 and 1 with a 1.59 ERA. The bullpen is strong. Rodgers has 30 saves, 2-6 ERA, 1 whip, 90 strikeouts in 69 innings, and just 11 walks. Trevor May with a 2-9-4 ERA and a 1.073 whip. Romo gives them a little bit of experience, someone who's been there, three-time World Series winner. He pitched 27 games for them with a 3.18 ERA and a .9 whip, 3 saves and 16 holds. And then Tyler Duffy. 2-5 2-5 ERA, 82 strikeouts, and a 1.06 whip. Since July 28th, in 27 games, he has a 0.37 ERA and a 153 batting average against. He's given up two earned runs total. 42 strikeouts, five walks for Duffy. That's that's a bullpen right there. Is that, on paper, the names of the Yankees' bullpen? No. But they've had a damn good year. I don't think this is going to be like the the recent Twins-Yankees series. I think the Twins have a legitimate shot in here. The Twins lost the ALDS to the Yankees in 2003, 2004, 2009, 2010, and the 2017 wild card. The Twins have lost 13 straight playoff games since 2004. Berrios actually started that, World, uh, that wild card game in 2017. Pitched three innings, gave up five hits and three earned runs. Different Barrios, though, this time. And this is going to be fun. Because we're going to see the two most prolific home run hitting teams in baseball history in a five-game series 
at a home run hitting ballpark. And if you're asking, are the Twins going to be scared to go on the road? 55 and 26 on the road this year, by far the the best road record. There were only three teams in baseball that had a better home record than the Twins' road record. Twinkies, Yankees. Game one on Friday, part of the quadruple header of divisional series matchups. I'm gonna get to a couple of your uh, your social meds. Thoughts. I uh, want to say hello to Abraham Hosea. Said, hoping not to regret again the lack of a move a few years ago to get Verlander to solidify the starting staff for years. Kate Hepton would look even better in Dodger Blue than in Astro Orange. Yeah, that might be one that haunts the Dodgers for years to come. Uh, they ended up not going and getting Verlander and ended up getting you Darvish. And it's funny. You Darvish actually pitched pretty well for the Dodgers to get them there, and he pitched very well in the first two rounds of the playoffs. It was just in the World Series. He blew up twice. That was Abraham Hosea, and then a guy says Atlanta is so, so good. They'll be hard to deny in the NL. The cards are scrappy. Dodgers are somewhere in between the, the two. Nats are chronic underperformers and no signs of changing. Yankees pitching a bit sketchy. Astros pitching isn't. Twins might be the team to beat. That was from a guy. Always love to hear from all of you out there. Those were some of the the Twitter, the tweets. Jim Bogart was talking at Oakland Astros. This was a little earlier on. Joe Alessandro is posting about Mattress Mac, who's making big wagers on the Astros. He's been all over the news, making a big million-dollar wagers on the Astros as part of the... He... Uh, his businesses, they've done this in, in previous year where they offer um, deals if the Astros win the World Series. So this year he decided, you know what, I'm going to go make a few wagers on the Astros. So that way, if they win and uh, I end up some losing money in his company because people end up, you know, taking advantage of the deals that he offers, at least it won't it won't hurt him like it has in past years where he's done this in, in previous Super Bowls and the last time the Astros won the World Series. Doug Dwyer. Good to, good to hear from you, Dougie. He liked Tampa tonight, but I think he had a a rough few days because I think he needed the Brewers. Doug. Stan Ware says the Dodgers will beat the Astros in the World Series. Dodgers over the Nationals in four. Dodgers over the Braves in six. Astros over the Rays in six. Yankees over the Twins in seven. Astros over the Yankees in five. Okay. Good to hear from you, Stan, with your 49ers looking good. Sal Bruno said with my A's, who will be eliminated tonight? I'm going to predict Yankees Dodgers World Series. And then Becky says if it comes down to Houston and Atlanta, my nephew Chris and I will be the two in each other's faces at this in the stands. We're a match set. Nice to hear from all of you on the social meads. Changing sports. Heading over to football. We have the Thursday night football game coming up. It is Rams at Seattle. And this game opened, the Rams were two and a half point favorites. It's now Seattle as a one and a half point favorite. And the over under is 49 and a half. Rams got beat last week by Tampa. They allowed 55 points. But honestly, it was not as bad as it looked. The Rams turned the ball over a couple times. Offensively, they were able to move the ball. 
the Rams couldn't run the ball at all, at all. And Goff just made a couple bad decisions. He had some really, really good throws in there too. I think people saw that game. They get a little cold on the Rams. But he saw Seattle win last week. But you know who Seattle beat? They beat Arizona. Let's look at the Rams wins now. The Rams won at Carolina. That win's starting to look a little bit better because we're we're noticing that the team around Cam in Carolina is not bad. The Rams beat the Saints. Okay, and that was a tough game. Breeze got hurt. And then they won at Cleveland. Now that game's starting to look a little bit better. And Cleveland's defense is actually pretty good. Then you have a home loss to Tampa where you just don't play well. And I'm willing to give the Rams a mulligan for that last game. The defense, I don't think, played as poorly as it looks on paper either because Tampa was repeatedly starting with short field position. The Rams had more first downs than Tampa. They had more total plays than Tampa. They had more total yards than Tampa. But they had four turnovers, three interceptions, and a fumble. And they only had 28 rushing yards. They also had 13 penalties for 106 yards. In a big shootout like this, you turn the ball over twice and you're done. They turn the ball over four times. And what's crazy is even after all of this and missing a field goal, they still had the ball down 48-40 with the chance to tie. Still down, They were down eight with 235 left. And they threw a pick six. Looks worse on paper than it is. Rams have won three of their last four at Seattle and the last two up at Seattle. And here's what I like about that loss for the Rams last week. I don't think the Rams looked really good throughout the first four games this year. But what was a positive for them is they were winning. If you don't look good but you continue to win, it's hard to really make wholesale changes, right? I think that was a wake-up call for the Rams. I expect to see things different. Yeah, and it's on a short week. Gurley's starting to voice his frustration a little bit. I think we're going to see a lot of Todd Gurley in this game. And we're going to see a better Goff not make as many mistakes. He was, I mean, people were ripping Goff and he hasn't looked great. But if you complete 45 passes, I mean, you're not awful. He's just inconsistent. Great pass, bad pass. Great pass, bad pass. He had 517 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions. The Rams, where they're struggling, people are giving Goff crap. Gurley and the Rams haven't been able to run the ball well. Their offensive line is currently ranked number 32 by Pro Football Focus. Dead last. DFL. Yes. Behind Miami, behind Cincinnati. Dead last. The Rams. This offensive line that was very good the last couple years. They made a couple changes this year. Their new additions to the offensive line have been horrible. And the returners have regressed badly. This offensive line needs to improve quickly. It doesn't matter who's behind the offensive line. If they're that bad, if it's Goff, if it's Gurley, if it's any quarterback or running back, they're in trouble. So far this year, 17-9 against the spread with our NFL picks. We were 3-3 last week. We're going to play the Rams straight up in this game at plus 110. Rams money line plus 110. It's going to be our Thursday play. Make sure to 
keep an eye out for the next podcast and we'll break down all of the week five NFL games and we're gonna have Scott Shapiro on to talk about his best bets of the week Rams up at Seattle let's go Rams to win this game straight up plus the 110 I think they have a big big bounce back week horse racing before we get to Keeneland stakes let's get to the news war of will Preakness winner he will be pointing to either the Breeders Cup Classic or the Breeders Cup Dirt Mile he was third last out in the Penn Derby. It was a bounce back effort. It was a not a bad race for War of Will. Owen Dale, Oklahoma Derby winner, pointing to the Breeders' Cup Classic or Dirt Mile. Prince Lucky and Cole Front, both possible for the Dirt Mile. Todd Pletcher trainees. We just saw Cole Front win the Parks Dirt Mile. We saw Prince Lucky finish second in the Kelso. Mitoli. Unbelievable year for Matoli. He arrived at Santa Anita. They're still deciding on the Breeders' Cup Sprint or the Dirt Mile. McKinsey will have a new rider. Bob Baffert has said that he will take Mike Smith off of McKinsey, the likely Breeders' Cup Classic favorite who was a disappointing runner-up in his prep race for the Classic. Guarana. Will be pointed to either the Breeders' Cup Distaff or the Philly and Mare Sprint. So she has options. She lost for the first time in the Cotillion. Secret Spice, who was a runner-up behind Paradise Woods. She'll be either in the Distaff or the Philly and Mare Sprint. So they have options. They might be cutting Secret Spice back. Your two-time Breeders' Cup Sprint winner, Roy H., will not be a three-time winner this year at least. Foot Issues. Since being scratched from the Dubai Golden Shaheen, he won't make the Breeders' Cup. They said they don't think he is done racing, though. Does look like McKinsey, seeking the soul and higher power, will all be going to the Classic. And Mongolian Groom, who beat the three of them, needs to nominate for 200000 to get into the Classic. Donna Veloce, a maiden special weight winner, very nice-looking filly at Santa Anita on September the 28th. Crushed was in hand, very impressive. They're thinking Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies with her. Pee Wee Reese, stakes winner, likely to be nominated to the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint for the $130,000 fee after a recent prep win. Mirth, wire to wire winner of the Rodeo Drive, gets a fees paid berth to the Billion Mare Turf. Catholic boy who's working. Could be Turf Mile. Could be Dirt Mile. Could be classic for Catholic boy for the Breeders' Cup. Huge weekend for Ebel Cedillo. Won the grade two John Henry with Cleopatra Strike. Won the grade one, the grade one awesome again with Mongolian Groom. Won the grade two Zenyatta with Paradise Woods. He had three career graded stakes wins before last weekend. He won three. That was a good... Uh, DRF stat from Steve Anderson And if you haven't heard Daily Racing Form now DRF.com All of the news and all of the articles are free Before you could get like 10 free a month Or you could read a few free But now even if you don't have an account You can get all of those articles And all the information there for free Which is great uh, That That's awesome So if you want to just keep up to everything that's going on Make sure to keep checking in on uh, DRF uh, Every couple days And you can go through all the articles And see what's up with all your favorite horses Bricks and Mortar will be leaning towards the Breeders' Cup mile over the turf. Looks like they're going to cut back for the mile. He's never raced beyond a mile and a quarter. 
but he's three for three at a mile, and he's five for five on this year. Structor will be going in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. That's the Pilgrim winner, who I tried to beat last week in our analysis. Elate will be running on Saturday in the Spinster, and they're actually leaning towards running Elate against the boys in the Classic. See how she runs this weekend. We had that controversial DQ in the Jockey Club Gold Cup between Code of Honor and Vino Rosso. And normally you're going to hear me with a, a strong opinion one way or the other. I thought this was a pretty either-or call. I thought this was one that could go either way. And generally, so to me, when that's when it's tight, that means it should be left up. I saw people comparing this to the maximum security disqualification in the Kentucky Derby. Just completely different situations, completely different instances. Maximum security was zigged and zagged and cut a horse off and almost caused a big incident. This was a little bit of bumping between two horses. They're called herding, one horse coming out a little bit. This was very minute compared to the maximum security. But in in the scheme of a of a DQ, I thought I, I was I thought this one could have gone either way. And when it's tight like that, I want to leave it because it feels like the best horse won. But I watched it a few times, and Code of Honor did get bumped off a bit. I still think Vino Rosso wins that race. If it were me, I would have left it alone. I think people are upset about the consistency. That's what it's been. In New York, this hasn't been taken down over and over again. Let's get into some uh, Keeneland mistakes. Get your past performances out for Friday, October the 4th. And let's get to race number eight. It is the Phoenix. This is a loaded Phoenix. A race that in 2010, Wise Dan won this race. Two times two-time Breeders' Cup mile winner, two-time horse of the year, Wise Dan, 23 victories and 31 starts. But when he Won this race He didn't win the Breeders Cup that year He took a shot in the sprint A horse who did win the Breeders Cup After winning this race Was Run Happy 2015 winner Breeders Cup sprint winner Following that Phoenix win Let's start with American Pastime From the inside On August the 18th he broke well Showed some speed in between horses In the two path He got the lead By a couple lengths He opened up He still had the advantage at the top of the lane He tried Hard, he finished second He's actually graded stakes placed He was not a bad fourth in the Breeders' Cup Two years ago He's capable of competing with top level horses Now he's going to go third off the long layoff He should improve with plenty of time Since his last The rail draw is what concerns me And it's it just not an easy field Cove Blue Was one of two next out winners On June the 27th the fourth place finisher won uh, next out at Presque Isle. On August the 16th at Saratoga, Cove Blue beat a next out winner called Du Cher, who won an optional 62 at Churchill. Cove Blue was asked for some speed, was able to open up a length, had a challenge at the top of the lane, but shrugged that one up and really just kicked clear. Now he goes uh, as a first time gelding. But this is a pretty tough group. You have Whitmore. 2017 winner of the Phoenix He was the runner up in this race last year And he looked like He was primed for a big year As one of the nation's best sprinters Coming into 2019 He finished second in the Breeders' Cup Sprint 
After finishing second in the Phoenix last year He was behind Roy H But he's just got one win in his campaign this year And It was in a really soft spot Since then He ran into Matoli in a five horse field In the slop Where Matoli was able to get an easy lead He had to try and press Matoli that day And then in the Churchill Downs He broke out a bit but he settled towards the rear He was in you know, eighth, ninth, he was seven, eight off. He was in the clear. He was three deep. He moved in between horses. He was up into the two path. He was up to fifth. He had dead aim. Top of the lane. He was now up to fourth. He got to within three in the early stretch, but he faded. Really no bid. And that was in the Churchill race. And then he comes back at Belmont. Mid pack, he was taken back and he just dropped out of it. No real response. And that was in June. And we haven't seen him since. He's raced four times this year He's lost to two horses Catalina Cruiser is 3 for 3 And Matoli's 5 for 6 So again while he's been a little bit disappointing He hasn't really been Defeated by slouch horses Recruiting ready He was a fine third In the true north back in June He battled hard all the way and then he went to Del Mar and he was favored in the Bing Crosby in a grade one. It was a good start, but then he was four deep. He was pressing. He was three deep. He just never got into it. No bid as the favorite. Came back to win last time out. He moved through to the inside. He got the lead. Kind of just put away a field that he was better than. I wouldn't talk you off recruiting ready. Just like a few others more in here. Diamond Oops has got a big shot. He's a grade three winner. Let's look at his last couple On June the 29th He was not in a great spot early He was in between He was in a group of five They were all close He was waiting behind He had to take back a bit Um, Then he had to angle All the way around Four deep He was five deep In the middle of the stretch It was actually a really good ride On June the 29th Came back on July the 27th That was a really strong Vanderbilt Matoli, Imperial Hint, Frenzy Fire, Strike Power He sat a close up 4th, 5th He was just too off, he was in the 2 path He stayed in the middle of the track Which was the good part of the track He was no match for Imperial Hint But he actually finished, outfinished Matoli Outfinished Frenzy Fire, Strike Power Those are legitimate animals Diamond Oops, big shot in here I would make Diamond Oops my top selection Hog Creek Hustle has become very consistent his five races under a mile They're pretty hard to knock He's one of two three-year-olds That are going to be facing older in here His last start on August the 24th He broke well But he was taken back to 8th, ninth. He was 8 off They kept him in the clear though He was widest of all Literally lost a nose bob He had the lead The next stride after the wire When he finished second Behind mind control he needs a little pace to run at, but I mean, he's a neck, he's a nose away from being a back-to-back grade one winner. Look who he lost to three starts back, Mr. Money. That was the start of Mr. Money's four-race win streak, who where he won four grade three races, and then Mr. Money finally just lost when he was barely defeated by a neck in the grade one Pennsylvania Derby. I don't know if there's going to be quite enough of a duel. To set up for Hog Creek Hustle And I just like him a little bit better at 7 Even 6.5 6 feels just a tad short for him
And what do we do with promises fulfilled? Last year's winner of the Phoenix, he has fought some big battles since that race. Fourth in the Breeders' Cup sprint, then he opens this year in Dubai in a race where he actually ran really well after a bad start and he was off the pace a bit. Came right back with a good third in the grade one Churchill Downs behind Matoli. Then he overpowered a less talented group on July 6th. Last out, he drew the rail. It was a slow start. Then he shot through to battle on the inside of Matoli. He was all in early. Then he dropped back. It was one of the worst races of his career. And it was over a bad rail at Saratoga. The only other two races there he's been that bad were legitimate excuses when he was going long in the Florida Derby and the Kentucky Derby. He is obviously capable. He's really quick. I just don't want to take too short of a price on him. But he's the one to catch. And he's a classy, classy now four-year-old. Engage is kind of a cool, I don't even want to say new face, but he's in a new barn. And He's he's another one who's never just doesn't show up with bad races. He just transferred barns. He moved from Trad Brown into the Asmussen barn, and he was able to improve second off the bench. And he beat Bon Raison, who had just defeated him, outfinished him previously. So we saw Engage show some improvement, whether it was second off the bench improvement because he hadn't raced from September of 2018 to July of 2019. So we expected Engage to improve a little bit last time out. Maybe it was a little bit of improvement for Asmussen, whatever it was. He's the type of horse who could get a really good trip in here. So there are two horses that I'd be looking to bet based on what their odds will probably be. And that's the five Diamond Oops and the eight Engage. And whichever one of them comes up a better price, that would be the horse I play. And I'd be using both of them in the late exo- in, in all the late exotics. Engage broke on top. He sat just off three deep, never more than two, loomed up three deep at the top of the lane, took the lead. It was very professional. And then he was able to hold off Bowen Raison, who was coming late. Hartwood is the nine. And he's just one that I have to just watch. Probably the first ever horse who prepped for the Keeneland Korea sprint in Seoul, South Korea. With a race at Belterra Park. But he raced at Belterra in July. And then after that. He went to Seoul. And raced in a group one. I'm just going to be watching today. He's going to have to deal with Whitmore. And Promises Fulfilled. Who he wasn't better than before. And I think he might be just a step off today. After that trip. Went to Korea. Less than a month ago. South Korea. The very fast zip on by. Was just a 25 claimer last year. I just don't know if he can compete at this level. He bobbled and he got to the lead in the two path. He dealt with the challenge from the inside, but he quickly opened back up. I mean, he's coming out of a four and a half furlong race, a Mountaineer. So we know he's gonna gonna be trying to get involved early on, and we know he has some speed. And then a big long shot, Lexitonian rounds out the field. He's facing some tough older. He's a Grade Three winner, and he beat Grade One winner Mind Control. Jack Sisterson has done a really good job with Lexitonian and with his with his barn. This just seems like a tough spot. Before we get to race number nine at Keeneland, which is the grade one Alcibiades, the Darley Alcibiades, want to let you know about Thrive Fantasy. So I, I figure you're all listening 
to this right now. You you like to gamble a little bit. You like to gamble on sports. Stop what you're doing real quick. Go and take a look at thrivefantasy.com. Go download the app. I'm asking you a favor, so I'm going to give you something in return. If you go right now and use the promo code GINO, when you deposit 10 bucks, you'll get a $10 bonus right back. So as long as you deposit 10 bucks, you'll get a $10 bonus right back. Go do it right now. You'll have 20 bucks in the account. You can uh, take a look, play in some of the contests. I just got involved in a contest last week for 5 bucks. I ended up winning 80 It's a DFS app for prop bets. So if you've played DraftKings or FanDuel or anything like that, where you have to set up a lineup using a salary cap, similar strategy, but you're picking props to make your lineup. You're not picking individual players. It's props. You know, For example, will Tom Brady throw for over 100, 250 yards? It'll assign a point total to over and a point total to over. You make your 10 picks. Then you also pick two in case of emergency picks. Go look at it. If you have any questions at all, just shoot me a message. But remember, the key, use that promo code G-I-N-O. If you deposit at least 10 bucks, you'll get a $10 bonus. Let's close things out with Keeneland, race number nine, the grade one, Darcy Alcibiades. Darcy, Darley Alcibiades. I was combining Darley and Alcibiades, and I got to Darcy. Let's see some of the previous winners of this. How about Stephanie's kitten? She won the 2011 Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies Turf after she won this race. She's also the 2015 Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf winner, and she was second in the 2014 Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf. That was a little different, though. Dirt track, synthetic surfaces, turf surfaces. This field will start with the one gone glimmering. So these are your two-year-old fillies going a mile in the 16th. And everyone in here, except for Micheline, will be going a mile in the 16th for the first time. Gone Glimmering is two for two. And she visually, very, very impressive. In her debut, she was a step slow, but she moved into contention without really being asked. It was an easy W. She beat a couple next out winners. And then last out. Slow start from the rail. She tried to move to the three path in between. Then she checked badly. She dropped back. She lost three lengths. She lost all the momentum. She came on again without being asked. And she opened up easily. It was very impressive. Don't know who she beat. But I'll tell you this. I wouldn't talk you off her. Visually, extremely impressive. And when you're looking at this field, there's nobody in here with like really gaudy numbers and figures. You know, if you're a speed figure or speed ratings. Don't exclude the one from some of your exotics. 3D uh, Flag debuted on the grass sprinting. August the 17th, she tried the dirt, and she was a step slow from the rail. Then she recovered. She moved through to battle from the inside. Uh, She pushed through to the lead. She dealt with a little bit of pressure from the 1-5 to favorite, or she dealt with some pressure, and then the 1-5 to favorite was getting a perfect trip right behind 3D Flag battling. And that favorite looms up, opens up about a half length, three quarters of a length, mid stretch, but 3D Flag battles all the way back. It was really determined, impressive for 3D Flag to come back and get the win. And the one that she beat, Joy Is Me, just came back to win a maiden special weight. That was the heavy favorite that day that looked like was going to beat 3D Flag easily. Long shot 
Another one I wouldn't really talk you off. Blinker's on for the three spitefulness. She's going to have to improve, though. She sat three off. She was able to move through the inside, was able to take the lead. And what happened was the favorite couldn't handle the turn. And so it made things really easy for spitefulness. So she took advantage of a a favorite who blew the turn, and she still couldn't hold off a a late challenge. So, um, again, spitefulness in here. Wouldn't wouldn't be against Alondra. Philly debuted for Suge, and in her debut at Saratoga, she broke quickly. She was in between three horses who went for the lead. She ends up clearing off by about a half length. She was headed at the top of the lane by the favorite, Slam Dunk, who had actually had a race of experience under her belt. She battles back from the inside and then starts to draw off Alondra, and she beats a horse named Impeccable, Impeccable Style, who comes back to win a maiden special weight at Churchill. No knocks on Alondra. Won't talk you off her. That's what makes this race fun, is that a perfect alibi is a multiple graded stakes winner and deserving to be favored in here, but she hasn't gone long. She doesn't have big figs, and... All of these fillies can really improve from you know one start to two, two starts to three, three starts to four. The five is Micheline, who has raced twice, both on the grass. And what she has as an advantage of everyone in this field is that she's gone long twice. And nobody in this race has gone a mile. There, nobody in this race has gone a mile in the 16th besides her. The only horse that's gone a mile is Air of Light. So Micheline, we know distance is no issue for her. Now she's a two-year-old filly. Her dam won the grade one spinster on the synthetic, but did win twice on the dirt, first time out, and in the grade two black-eyed Susan. On September the 1st, Micheline was too deep. Mid-pack was five, six off, angled out at the top of the lane, took a few strides to get going. Still a little bit green, late, even in drawing off, but she gets the win there. Upside in a fun race to bet. British Idiom. Debut Saratoga winner. She sat two off early. She worked her way up in between and three deep right on the lead. Just off the lead at the top of the lane. She put away a rival and drew off. Can't really knock that performance first time out. Now she got to stretch out and go six from six furlongs to a mile and a sixteenth. Wouldn't talk you off. I mean that. So I, I mean, I thought Gone Glimmering from the inside has a shot. We're talking about Alondra, Micheline, British Idiom, all with a shot. 3D flag. Really good race, and we're getting to a perfect alibi now. Who's a multiple graded stakes winner, a Grade One winner. I liked her a lot last time out. I liked her in both of her last two starts. She had she started well. She was waiting, and then she picked the spot. Kind of sixth. Six off. She moved to the inside right up into contention. She snuck through. She got right onto even terms with Frank's Rockette. Took till about mid-stretch. But she got advantage and she was able to kick clear and open up. And it feels like she could run all day because she's a grindy type. She doesn't have a real big turn of foot. Perfect alibi. But she deserves to be favored in here. I just don't want to take a really short price on her when you have all these fun... Lightly raced fillies with some upside So 
from a pure betting standpoint, she's probably the horse to try to beat. Although, if if a lot of people end up looking at this race like it looks on paper and, and they see other options, right? They go, oh, Alondra or a Michelin or British Idiom or Air of Light or any – and then Perfect Alibi ends up like four or five to one. Then you play her. But I just don't think you can play Perfect Alibi in a field like this at under three to one. It's all about wagering, folks. It's not just about picking the winner. If it was, it, there'd be a lot of people who made a lot of money. With the takeout, with racing being difficult, big fields, you, it's picking the winner and picking it, finding value. If you just pick chalk over and over, you're not going to ever make money. You're going to end up losing money. You're going to feel like, I'm cashing a lot of tickets, but why am I not winning? It's because you're picking chalk. You're, you're better off losing and betting a bigger price than you are betting the favorite to win most times. Yeah, it's true. Air of Light, the eight. She stretched out. And on September the 13th, she was able to clear the field from the outside. She crossed over. She had to work hard. And in the stretch, she held off like three or four different challenges. I was very impressed with this win. Just another one who you look at and plenty of upside, can continue to improve. Sequin in here, making the first start on the dirt. Tried grass a couple times. And... Sequin had a good start, but she took back a few lengths. She was in the two paths. She was fifth, sixth. She angled uh, to the center of the course with dead aim, and she couldn't get by a 43-1 to one shot, take it back. First time on the dirt. The dam did win her debut on the dirt. It was in the slop, and then she won three times, a uh, couple on the dirt, and then one on the slop. 12-1 to one on Sequin. Mark Cassie. With the 10, Western Taffy. So we have the outside three horses who will all be trying the dirt for the first time. Western Taffy has six sibs that have raced, four winners, three one on the synthetic, one on the dirt. And the fourth finisher from the the last one and next out stakes at Woodbine when Western Taffy was second behind Fair Maiden. She did get bumped at the start on both sides. I just don't know how much it affected her, I don't think Western Taffy was ever winning that race, but she might have been a little bit closer. And how ironic, two-year-old daughter of Tonalist. So we got the Tonalist and the Byrns in here. Sequin, two-year-old daughter of Byrne. So she's got plenty of dirt, right, with the with the dam winning on the dirt and then Byron on the top. How ironic looks a bit overmatched. The dam was in a race, two sibs racing, a half to a horse named Smart Remark, who's a multiple graded stakes placed, but in in turf sprints, does have a couple wins on the dirt. How ironic, had a slow start, was last early, moved to the rail to the two path, angled around a rival in between horses, um, again had to move in between at the top of the stretch, just missed third on the bob. It wasn't bad. But looking at this race from a wagering standpoint, you have so many options in here. Don't don't just don't take a short price. That's what I'll recommend, and it's hard to, to really say who I love in here because I want to see what this betting board looks like, but the 8 Air of Light lost in the debut to Wasabi Girl who came back to win an optional 75 non-2 at Churchill. I mean, the 8 looks good. I would lean lean towards the 
the four, five, or eight if you're looking for a horse to win. And I, I think the one, make sure to include in all of your exotics. And, you know, if you're playing exact as tries and stuff like that, supers, don't completely throw out perfect alibi. I do think perfect alibi will hit the board. But if we're talking about this race from just a to win perspective, I'd much prefer one of the other lightly raced fillies with a little more upside. And I just don't think Perfect Alibi will be a good enough price to take in here. So your opening day at Keeneland, couple graded stakes races for you. Best of luck in the Phoenix and the Alcibiades. Uh, in the Phoenix, we'd look towards Diamond Oops or Engage, whichever was a, a better price. And then here in the Alcibiades, a uh, couple different ways to go, but Gone Glimmering, the one, make sure to use as kind of your price horse in most, and then keep an eye on um, Alondra, Michelin, and Air of Light to see which of them will, will offer you value. I think they're uh, all good horses to use in some of your exotics. Good luck, folks. We'll be back again quickly with you with uh, another episode of That's What G Said. We'll talk plenty of NFL and then more horse racing for the weekend. Some recaps of the TV show Ballers. We'll check in on baseball. We'll see what's going on in the in the playoffs. And we will have a nice interview with Scott Shapiro covering the week five game. So make sure to subscribe on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, uh, Google Pods, anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to That's What G Said. Joey, my friend, take it away.